Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Sharon, for helping us. Shannon Garrett, great man. Um, boy, he did have a voice, didn't he? Oh, my goodness, that man. He could bust it out and bellow it. Uh, he did sing at our wedding. Uh, he, uh, he can't bust it out as loud as Mike can. Micah sets a new record on that. But he was the, he was the closest one to your rival, I would say. Uh, when he sang, the, it felt like the walls were shaking. Um, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 this morning, I hope that you are ready to study about what Jesus has done for you and for me. Uh, the only reason we have to celebrate this morning is because of what Christ has done. Um, and if you know Jesus, then there's no circumstance of life that can rob you of the joy that he alone provides. And if you don't know Jesus, there's no temporary joy this life can give you that will satisfy you like he does. And this morning, I want us as Christians to dwell upon Colossians chapter 3 and the difference that Jesus makes. And, and basically what we're focusing on is living out our new identity in Jesus, that you're not just called uh, to love Jesus. Jesus and to uh, put your trust in him, but you're called to walk after him. You're called to walk in likeness of Jesus. And so this morning, we want to take a look at what that looks like and uh, just spend a few moments dwelling on putting off the old and putting on the new. So we're going to see this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to read just the first uh, four verses, and then we'll uh, make our way through it slowly but surely. But one thing Paul has been teaching us in the two chapters previous in Colossians is he's been laying out the truth of the gospel, the truth of what it means to be saved, what it means to be reconciled to God through the work of Jesus. And now what he's going to do is transition from talking about what Christ has done to now how we live that out. That what I've shared with you over the past few weeks is that doctrine leads to behavior. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong behavior. Right doctrine should lead to right behavior. And so in, Col in Colossians chapter 3, Paul begins to lay out what that life in Jesus looks like and how we are to live it. So Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able, stand with me as I read the first four verses, then I'll let you sit down for just a little bit. But Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here's what Paul writes, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with with him in glory. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll teach us by your word. Father, teach your sheep, feed us, God. We thank you for who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and Father, I pray that he would receive all glory as we study these verses. Point our eyes and our hearts back to the sufficiency of Christ one more time. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Number one, I want to show you from verses one through four that our focus must be on Christ. Our focus must be on Jesus. Because if you notice, not only has Paul been doing that throughout the letter, but now he does it even more specifically in verse 1. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated 
at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice, Jesus is referred to over and over again. Talking about what Jesus has done, what he is currently doing, and what he's going to do in the future. It is all centered on Christ. He talks about the fact that we have been raised with Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have been raised with Christ. And so what does he call you to? to do, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that have eternal value. See, we can get so caught up in seeking the things that aren't eternal, things that are temporary, and the way, the way that God swings us out of that state is telling us to, again, turn our eyes back on Jesus, to focus on him. And by the way, it means to keep on doing this, not just once, but throughout your life as a Christian. Keep seeking the things that are above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. It's to focus your eyes back on him. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. So not only have we been raised with Christ, but we've also died with Jesus. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so because we've been raised, because we died with Christ, verse 2 he tells us, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This is to mean keep on focusing on Jesus every day of your life. You need to be reminded that Christ is your focus. He is your center. Everything you do is to be about him. It doesn't mean that earthly things don't matter at all. We do live on this earth every day. But it means our focus is to continually consider eternal matters, not simply temporal ones. We need to remind ourselves that we've been raised with Christ, we've died with Christ, and because of that, there is a greater hope and a greater future yet to come. And isn't that what he shares with us? Verse 3, you've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what? When Christ, verse 4, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because of what Jesus has done, you will appear with him in glory. That means when Jesus comes back again, you will finally be perfected as God intended, and Jesus will display his glory by sharing that glory with us, right? As we also have resurrected bodies, as we also enter into new eternal life with God forever at the return of Jesus. Remember, the heretics are in the church teaching that it's all about some legalistic viewpoint. It's all about some mysticism or some mystical spirituality that you can find where you'll find fullness that you can't find anywhere else if you just listen to their teaching. But here we're reminded that everything is about Jesus. Everything we need, we have in him and we are in need of nothing else. We've been raised with Christ. We've died with Christ and we are hidden with Christ. That means your primary identity as a Christian is that you belong to Jesus. That's your primary identity. Everything else is subordinate to that. So live that way with your eyes focused on the things above, not on the things on earth. It means to put our ultimate goal and hope in Jesus alone, not as the teachers are trying to lead them into their own self-righteousness. 
So here's what I would consider for us this morning. The entire Christian life is to be centered on Jesus looking to him. We're reminded of this by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews says, as you run the Christian race, look to Jesus constantly. We need to keep our eyes focused on him. That is how we please and honor him as we live every single day. We must remember that as Christians, our focus must be on Christ. So how do we do that? Number two, because of what Jesus has done, as we keep our focus on him, one of the things that you are commanded by God to do as a Christian in verse 5 through 11 is to kill sin. See, the way you kill sin is as you're keeping your eyes on the righteousness of Jesus, you walk after him. And so killing sin is attached to our new identity in Jesus, that we're able to do this. He says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. That is not a, that's a very clear phrase that should invoke some really uh, intense mental pictures. To kill something, to put it to death. The word is mortify. It's where we get our word mortuary from. It's to mortify, to treat as dead, no longer useful to you. So in union with Christ, as part of your identity with him, you should be busy, as you keep focused on him, you are busy killing sin in your life every day. You are putting to death what is earthly in you. It reminds me of, uh, there was a movie that was released several years ago um, about a a man who in Utah had gone out and was uh, doing some, uh, was was descending in a canyon in Utah. Um, His name was um, Aaron Ralston. Um, And he he was descending in a canyon. He ended up shaking loose a boulder and his his right arm got trapped uh, against the wall of the canyon. And he couldn't get it out. Uh, And he was there for five days, stuck with his arm wedged. And he realized that if he was going to survive, he was going to have to do something. So he took out his pocket knife and he cut his arm off. Because if he didn't, He was going to die. Now, never mind the fact he also had to descend another 65 feet from the canyon. He had to walk seven miles to get to safety and find somebody to help him out. But he was willing to cut his arm off so that he might live. That's the picture that comes to my head of how we treat sin. Sin is going to kill us and we must put it to death. We must kill it before it, right? Uh, John Owen, the the Puritan theologian, said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
As a Christian, your, the command God gives you is to not coddle sin, not to treat it lightly, not to treat it like it's nothing severe, but to be so enamored with Jesus, your eyes focused on him, that sin looks so ugly to you that you would do nothing but cut it off in order to live, that we would put it to death. And by the way, it seems to me that Paul is telling us in Colossians 3 that this is a lifelong pursuit. As long as you're breathing air before Jesus comes back, you're going to be busy having to do this. Which means the idea that you're going to be perfect in this life before Jesus comes ain't happening. It is the regular daily pursuit of a Christian to kill sin. And just so you know, there are always pockets of it somewhere to kill. And for every person, it's different. I want you to think right now about what sin you find yourself regularly entangled in. Are we willing to cut it off, to kill it, to put it to death. He tells us, some of them, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. By the way, many of these are sexual in nature, which should tell us what are some of the major hiccups that human beings might deal with, some of the major sin areas that Christians might deal with. But all of these things, he says, are earthly, these are not what Christ has taught or exemplified. These are all things that are in opposition to God. And ultimately we're told the reason we should take sin seriously is because of verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, the righteous God of all the universe must punish sin because it's serious. It is opposition to him and God will not stand for other opponents. And so he must, he must judge sin, and he will. We're told that ultimate punishment is coming. The righteousness of God demands it. And so God commands his people to be active in killing sin because of its seriousness. But he goes on in verse, he says in verse 7, In these you two once walked when you were living in them. Notice past tense terminology. You used to be this way. This is how you used to walk. That is the old life, right? That's the old life that Paul told us about. And what did Jesus do with that old life? He put it to death. We have died with Jesus. That old man has been buried with Christ. That old life is gone, no longer held under the sway and power of sin. Because he says in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Right? That's a picture of a contrast between what used to be and what is now. And as a believer, you used to be marked by all those sins. You used to be under the sway and bondage to slavery to sin. But because of what Jesus has done, that old life has been buried. Right? Died with Jesus, buried. And you've been raised a new creation, a new person in Christ. So now, as that new person, you must put all these Away. And so killing sin accompanies a whole life change. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Christ makes us new creations because sin had infiltrated every area of the old life. We see that list in verses 8 and 9. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lying to one another. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its 
practices. This is what Jesus has done for us. We are able to put to death sin because Jesus has already given us new life in himself. He has conquered the old life that was under the sway of sin and he has brought us under the power of the spirit so that we can say no and walk in righteousness. This is the change that Jesus brings and this is the fruit that a Christian should bear. New creations live new lives, and anything less is a contradiction. Because we have died with Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. And Douglas Moo, a theologian, said, Jesus puts us in a new relationship to sin and brings us into the sphere of the Spirit's power. So putting to death sin is only possible in union with Jesus. The only power we have over sin is the power that God gives us through his spirit whom Jesus gives. And so Christians are to be busy killing sin. We are putting to death sexual immorality. We are putting to death impurity. We're putting to death passion. We're putting to death evil desire. We're putting to death covetousness. We're putting to death idolatry. That's what should mark the Christian life. That should be how we're seeing so what does this tell us? It tells me that the natural man cannot do this. That only in union with Jesus. There's a reason why Paul gave you chapters one and two first. Is because you cannot do chapter three unless you are in Christ, which he describes in the first two. You must trust in Jesus or else sin is the conquering foe. We are still under the wrath of God if we are not in Jesus. The natural man is captive to sin. But because of what Jesus has done, killing the old life and bringing new life, God commands his people to be active in killing sin. He has made this possible through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. So let me ask you, what sin do you need to be killing right now? What sin do you need to be killing? What areas are you prone to wander, right? What areas do you face temptation the most? And in that, turn your eyes to the beauty of Jesus who makes our sin look so ugly that it's distasteful for us to walk after. What sin do you need to kill? And remember, remember what Jesus endured to pay for that sin. Remember what Jesus endured on the cross, taking the wrath of God from us. How could we ever walk after that which he has died to put to death? But we need to be active in doing that. We are putting off the old self which Jesus allows us to do by his work on the cross. Our old self has been laid aside. The old practices and position we were in are gone. The new has come. Verse 10, having put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. God is in the process of growing us to maturity in Jesus and he calls us to kill sin as part of that process. 
Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. God is uniting us all together in himself. So guess what you find when you gather together with other Christians? People who are in the same fight you are. You're not alone. You're not the only one dealing with sin problems. You're not the only one struggling. You're in a group of people who are all in the same war against sin. And guess what? If you're in Jesus, you have the ability to say no to it together. You're able to do it and walk closer to Jesus and grow and mature in him, Ephesians chapter 4. You're gathered with a bunch of people who know exactly what you're going through because they're going through it themselves. It may not look the same as your sin problem. But it's the same root issue that we're all dealing with. You don't have to be scared among God's people. Because here, we gather together as the forgiven people of God. God's not holding that sin over us. That wrath has been paid for by Jesus. So when we gather, we're battling sin. We're battling it together. We're, sometimes we're victorious. Sometimes we're defeated. But we keep on pushing each other to do what? Look at Jesus again. Look at him again. Look at him. Keep your eyes on him. Look what he did for you. Look what he endured on the cross for you. Look how he put away the wrath of God. Look how he forgave you of all your sin. Keep looking at him. Because otherwise sin just seems to be so big and, and victorious. But in Christ, we are free. So kill sin. Kill it. Leave no room for it. But not only are we killing sin, which, by the way, is the idea of taking off the, the dirty. But we're also clothed with righteousness. You see, there's the negative part, which is take off that old garment that you used to be marked by, but there's also putting on something else. So number one, we focus our, on Christ. Number two, we kill sin. And number three, we clothe ourselves. Notice what he says in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put the, uh, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are to put on these things. And it's only possible because Jesus did it for us. He took off the old. He put on new. We're told that we've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. So when God looks on us as Christians, he doesn't see our, our sin. He sees the perfection of Christ. That's what we're marked by. So every day, put off that old. Stop chasing after what Jesus put to death and put on every day that thing that he brought, which is righteousness, that we can actually walk in obedience to God. We are to put it on. We are to wrap ourselves with all these things that he lists. Clothe yourself with a compassionate heart. Oh man, if Christians were doing that, this place might look different. Clothe yourself with kindness. Clothe yourself with humility, meekness, and patience. Clothe yourself because this is who you are. 
in Jesus. This is your new identity. Put it on every day. And the only way we can put it on is because Jesus has definitively done it for us. Through Christ, we're told that we have been chosen, set apart, and loved. And the new self is to be characterized by those things. Compassion, kindness, meekness, or gentleness, and patience. Oh, patience. That we might be patient towards one another. Bearing with one another, forgiving. By the way, bearing with one another and forgiving each other flows out of patience. If you ain't got patience for no one, you ain't bearing with nobody, and you ain't forgiving nobody. And so we are patient together, and we exercise that patience by bearing with each other and forgiving each other. We're called to let peace rule in our hearts. Why? Because Christ has given us peace between us and God. Where there used to be animosity, Jesus brought peace and reconciled us. Guess what we can do together? Be reconciled to one another also. And we should be thankful for that peace that Jesus alone brings we're called to let the word of Christ take deep root in every area of our lives. God is in the process of weeding out all sin and making us look more like Jesus. And everything we do, we're called to do in the name of Christ. Why? Because he is our head. We are representatives of him. We are empowered by him. So let's walk like him. Let's live like him. Because this is what he has purchased for us. Jesus took off our dirty garment of the old life and he put it on himself on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he died as if he had committed every sin ever. You understand? That's why the cross had to be bloody. That's why it was ugly. That's why it was nasty. Because on the cross was the picture of what sin looks like. Jesus took that dirty garment off of us and put it on himself. But guess what he did? He took his righteous garment and he put it on us on the cross. That if we would trust in him, we would now be clean. We would now not be marked by the old sin. We'd be marked by the perfection of Jesus. You see that beautiful gift that he's given us? Listen, there's an illustration I'll share and then I'll close. There's one thing that always stuck out about this is when, when we lived up in Indiana, we did some stupid stuff. And one of the stupid things we did up in Indiana was somebody convinced me somewhere along the line that I should, and I've told this story before, someone convinced me that I should go pig wrestling with them. Somebody convinced me that it would be a great thing at one of these small little town fairs. They would have pig wrestling and you could enter a team of four and you could try to get these prizes if you go out and you're supposed to run out in this muddy pit and you're supposed to grab a pig and flip it over, whatever you're supposed to do. I don't even know. It was disgusting. But someone convinced me I should do this as part of their team. So I said, okay, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to do what other people tell me to do, right? That's my job. I'm supposed to do stupid stuff that people tell me to do so that everybody be nice to me. But I said, okay, I'll do it, even though it went against every impulse I had. It was the worst thing I could ever think of, and I went ahead and did it. So there we are, right? They put us outside the cage. It's almost our time to do it, and what they're going to do is they're going to swing that gate open, and we're going to run it. So I just decided that I was going to go all in. If we're going to do this pig wrestling thing, then I I'm never doing this again, so I'm going to do it all this one time. And so when that gate opened, nothing held me back. I shot in there. And I was scurrying, boy. I was really working hard. I, I don't think I ever touched that pig. I don't think I ever got close to it. I was trying, but it wasn't working. And, at, okay, so they, I think they let you go for like a minute. It was something. It was, but it felt like hours. It felt like hours chasing this stupid, dirty pig around. But it was like, it was like a minute long. And then after the minute, if you didn't get it, then they, it's over. You're, you're out. 
And so we never caught the pig. And I remember walking out of that gate, right? I, when, I, when I walked in that gate, I mean, I had, we had nice, we had shirts done for it. We were called the Baconators, right? We had shirts done for them. They were red, had a picture of a pig on it. Like I had, had some jeans on, you know, some, I looked, I looked decent. When I came out of that pen, I, I, I stunk something fierce. I'm not going to lie to you. It, 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 was, it was bad. My, my clothes, horrible. Now, I kind of planned for this because we still had a 45-minute drive back home. And so I had packed some extra clothes. And so I was like, okay, well, first thing I got to do is I got to go change these clothes. But you still... Even having the clothes around you, even if they weren't on you, if they were near you, it was brutal. So what did I have to do? I took those clothes that I wore to wrestle that dirty, stinking pig, and I put them in a bag, and I threw them away. I wasn't going home to wash them things, because even if I tried to wash them, you wasn't getting that stink out. So I had to take those clothes and throw them away. They were no longer useful to me. Guess what? In Christ, that's what sin looks like. And what Jesus has taken off, why in the world after he has washed us clean would we go back and find those stinky pig clothes and put them back on again? Why would we ever want to run back to that? Well, if we're being honest, we shouldn't. Because that's how ugly sin looks once we have Christ. It, so we kill sin. We take those clothes. We, well, you probably set them on fire and bury the ashes, what we should have done. You get rid of them. You put them away. You ain't putting them clothes back on again. Because now you're marked by cleanliness. You're marked by perfection of Jesus. Why would we ever run back after those things? And so as a Christian, your job, the command that God has given you as a believer is every day keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Put away sin, kill sin in your life every single day. Whatever sin you're battling, whatever comes up, put it away. Don't coddle it. Don't act like it's no big deal. Kill it. Slay it. Cut it off, do whatever you got to do to put it away because that's what Christ has called us to do. And number three, clothe yourself every day in the garments Jesus has given you. Robe yourself with righteousness. Robe yourself with uh, love and mercy and compassionate hearts. Robe yourself in kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving. Robe yourself in those every single day because in that we honor the King Jesus who died for us. See, Jesus wore each of these garments perfectly and we're called to reflect the one who has rescued us. And I'll remind you, we cannot put these things on apart from our new identity in Jesus. You can't clean up your act and make Jesus love you. He's already demonstrated he loves you by dying on the cross. And because he's done that, if you trust in Jesus alone, you can put off sin and you can put on righteousness. These are all possible because he saved us. But oh, as Christians, how we should live every day focused on Christ, knowing that he has given us the ability to honor him through how we live. So my encouragement, number one, if you're not a Christian, 
You need to trust in Jesus. Nothing you can do can earn the identity that only Christ can bring. You can't, you can't do enough to cause God to forgive you. But to rest only in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, trust in him alone, and there you will actually find the salvation that you so desperately long for. The peace and the hope everlasting that you so desperately long for, they're found only in Jesus. Trust in him. No works of your hands can do it, but Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave is perfectly satisfactory to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin. Trust in him alone. And as Christians in the room, we got to be busy together killing sin. Whatever it is, don't be afraid to tell a brother or sister in Christ what you're battling so that they can pray for you, they can help you as you try to kill sin. You help them try to kill sin. We do it together. So we need one another. As flawed as we are, we gather together to say we want to honor Jesus more in our lives. We want to look more like him. We want to reflect the character of the king who died for us. And so we help each other do that but you gotta be together, you gotta push each other, and you gotta be honest. You gotta be able to say, this is what I'm battling, this is what I'm waging, I need you to help me. And together we walk after Christ, killing sin, clothing ourselves in righteousness as we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. May that be our mission today. Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that Christ has definitively conquered sin for us so that we might walk in righteousness and newness of life. And Father, I pray that you'll help us as Christians to daily put ourselves to the task of putting off the old and putting on the new, that we would put aside and kill sin, and God, we would pursue righteousness, which is ours only in Jesus. And so Father, help us to do this for your glory. And Father, I know that there are some here this morning who may be battling significant sin. And they may have been waging war against sin for a long, long time. Feeling that there is no hope for rescue or deliverance. Father, show them today that through the work of Jesus, all sin can be conquered. Sin can be defeated. But Father, we need to be busy killing it. Focusing on your glory helping us to walk after your example. So Father, for those Christians in the room who are struggling with sin that entangles, Father, I pray that you would find them completely focused on your beauty, waging war against that sin. And Father, help us as Christians to love each other in this, to pursue it together. Father, that we wouldn't continue to hold guilt over each other or shame, but God, instead, as Christians, we would lovingly walk together in this battle. So Father, make us closer as a church. Make us closer as Christian brothers and sisters, that we would pick each other up and push each other to look more like Christ every day. Father, do this so that you might receive more glory, and Father, that you might mature us to look more like Jesus. But Father, ultimately, if there's anybody here this morning who's seeking to earn rescue on their own terms, by their own hands. Father, show them definitively that they cannot do it on their own. You're not asking them to. They need to trust completely in the finished work of Jesus. But Father, help us not to belittle our sin. Help us not to coddle it. Help us not to view it as no big deal. Help us to see it is serious. It deserves your wrath, but thankfully Jesus has absorbed that upon himself. That today we as Christians can declare definitively that we are free in Christ. We are no longer counted by the old life. We are new creations. 
And to you, God, belong all honor and glory for this fact. May we worship you. May we please you in how we live. So, Father, this morning, rescue people. Father, this morning, help your people to walk in Christ-likeness. Help us to battle and wage war against sin, trusting that, God, when Jesus returns, we will finally be perfected as he promised. And so, Father, may we live every day in the pursuit of that reality, keeping our eyes focused on Christ, who alone deserves glory. So, Father, in this place, I pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to you, to love you more, to hate sin more. And, Father, as you continue to help us walk in righteousness, as you continue to save people, we're going to give you praise. We're going to give you thanks because you alone have the power to do this. So, Father, in this place, I pray that you would do work in our hearts by your Spirit. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace towards us. Receive glory from our hearts. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.